Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship, and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week, we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan, and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Ben Fern. Hi, Paul. You okay? I'm intrigued. You seem giddy with excitement about what we're going to talk about Well, next, you know me. So. This is a late afternoon, and I do get giddy about half past two. It's either that or I fall asleep on the desk like a dormouse. But you do, you know I get giddy sometimes about the slightest thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'd rather be giddy for the podcast because that shows enthusiasm. Great. Yeah. Excellent. No, so our guest today worked at the BBC, which I think is a fantastic institution, and I'm very uh, pro-BBC, um, yes, and I, I love the fact that both parties don't like the BBC. That shows that they're doing something right. But a little-known fact, I wanted to be a foreign correspondent when I was growing up, and when I did my um, my A-levels, but, uh, listener, most of our listeners are old, they understand what A-levels were back in the day. Back in the day, you just sat one exam. And as you know, I, I, my, I'm hopeless at attention span. So I, I pretty well flunked my A-levels. But my plan was to do English, then sort of get into journalism and be a foreign correspondent. I wanted to be... Uh, you can imagine me now being Jerry Bowen, can't you? Stood on a desolate field somewhere. You've got a good Radio 4 voice, I have to say. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I'm not sure I would have been able to cope with interviewing politicians, really, because I'd have literally done Partridge. And that would have been the danger for me, that I would have become... It's a thin line between Paxman and Partridge, isn't it? It's a very thin line. Um, I could ask I could ask Andy the same question eight times. Did you... Threaten to overrule <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> but, but we don't do that. But I really wanted to be a foreign correspondent for the BBC. You'd have well, been very good. I yeah. think I would have been all right to come. I got a face for radio, to be fair. So, me too. Uh, yeah, I mean, folks would say that about me. I was actually behind the scenes rather than in front uh, when I was working there. So, so what were you doing? Uh, I was an engineer, studio engineer um, oh, in TV Centre down you in London. Sort of dark rooms with all the screens in front of you. Yes. Yeah, so, six, please. <clears throat> so we had a, a base like that with all the cameras uh, and all the screens and everything. I was actually in the studio sometimes while we were live on air, sort of, again, crawling around on the floor, plugging things back in that had fallen out, um, just keeping the show on the road, as it were. And there's been um, like a plethora of, of sort of TV dramas based around studios, hasn't it? Yeah. There's been the Australian one Indeed, recently, yeah. which I don't know whether you watched, and then there was, it's been on Apple, isn't there? With, um... Yeah, I think we saw that one. Yeah. Um, and and uh, you sit there shouting, it's, it's not <laughs> like that. Um, I thought they got it quite right, really. I mean, yeah, I, my life there was uh, was pretty interesting like it's uh, it's right on the, the the cutting edge of what's going on in the world so uh that was for me really interesting just sort of seeing stories breaking and uh, news happening and you were in the news department in, in news department wow, that's right yeah so uh, and the fount of all knowledge i mean i had a, in my freelancing days i had a spell freelancing for mm, bbc and okay. the engineers and the production team behind the scenes were very yep. much the the go-to for any questions indeed and they would uh, producers would come to us really short notice saying we want to do this amazing thing by six o'clock this evening can you just go go set it up and so we'd be racing around and building a new little studio or a set or a getting stuff ready um, just to um, make the news accessible and interesting so that uh, viewers and listeners at home could sort of you know join in with um, what was going on 
in the big wide world. We're talking like 20 odd years ago. So we didn't have the technology then that we have now. They go so for graphics a lot. Even more immediate these days than it yeah. was then. In those days, we were having to record things onto bits of tape and then get the tape on a bike and the bike would get to the studio and it would be whizzed up in the lift and, you know, run it to the machine and off we'd go. So um, these days, it's just um, incredible, really, isn't it? You can have a, a story, a reporter live somewhere else just chatting away to someone in the studio and uh, all happens really easily without any any glitches fond of yeah. the bbc oh yeah yeah still a, a avid radio 4 listener i think that you can't really get any better news source than you know radio 4 in a morning uh, or an evening come to that um so i go there when i want to find out what's going on um yeah so uh, very happy days um had no um it's a real reason to leave there, to be honest. we It was just a career progressing and, you know, uh, yeah, was snapped up by another company. They right. were keen to pick up engineers who'd been trained with the Beeb. So we need to introduce our yeah. guests. We do indeed. Andy, <laughs> thank you for that sort of um, overview of your time at the BBC. We might delve into that a bit later on. Yeah. That's a sort of interesting story. So our guest today is Andy Brewton, who is the vicar of St. Thomas Kilnhurst. Andy was born in Essex, but grew up in Margate in Kent. Uh, from school, he took a course in broadcast engineering in London, and as is explained, they went to work at the BBC uh, TV Centre in the news department. He married Amanda in 1992, and they both have two grown-up sons, Nick and Jamie. He became a Christian in 1994 after attending a small group at uh, his then local church in Harold Wood. At church, he got involved with tech stuff, youth work, and became a small group leader. And after the BBC in 1996, he moved to become the chief engineer at a multimedia company. He was selected for training in 2002 and attended Oak Hill Theological College. His curacy was in Clacton in Essex, and in 2009 he came to Kilnhurst St Thomas's Church and also became area dean of WAF in 2012, and he also leads on two CPAS Ventures camps, Hope Cumbria 1 and 2. Andy, welcome. Thank you. So I think, first of all, Andy, I've noticed there from the bio, so it's sort of in between your time at BBC and your time in ministry was when you sort of came to faith. Yeah, that's right. Um, so um, those days, uh, Amanda and myself, we were living in and around London, various different bits of London uh, for our work. And uh, we ended up um, back over on the east side uh, near Romford. Um, Howard Wood Church was our local church. And Amanda first got invited along by a neighbour, said, well, you should come along to church. I was working shifts at the Beeb, and that involved me being away every other weekend. I'd work Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and I'd do 12 hours on each of those days, so 36 hours uh, as a stint, and then uh, obviously getting home, going to sleep, waking up, <laughs> going straight back to work again. Um, so uh, Amanda had a, a long weekend every other weekend with not much going on, and so this neighbour befriended her and took her to church on a Sunday. So Amanda started going prior to me, and, uh, and then we started going on on the weekends in between. And what sort of church was it? Um, so it's a fairly big church in a fairly, um, uh, sort of on the edge of London. So a Church of England? Or? Church of England, yeah, Anglican Church, yeah. So um, and uh, so we found their uh, friendship community. Uh, we found um, some Bible teaching, uh, teaching the Bible in a way that I'd never heard taught before, sort of slightly longer sermons, but sort of really detailed, sort of digging into uh, the words on the page to sort of see what's going on. And um, intrigued, I guess, was probably my first response. Um, and uh, for me, that then um, led to uh, you know, more regular attending. Um, got to know a few folk, and that's how it then trundled along for a little bit. Um, 
mentioned the little course that I was uh, going on. I was invited um, by several different people. Um, oh, you should go on this course. You know, come to this group, the small group. And I think to begin with, I was a bit sceptical and didn't really want to go. But um, it was um, it was really the pester power of all these various people uh, sort of badgering me. I thought, oh, the easy way to stop all of this <laughs> is to go along <laughs> and to, um, you know, um, see what's going on. I wasn't sort of anti, but I just wasn't massively keen, I suppose. Um, but I'm very glad they did. And, you know, all these years later, here I am sat here as a, a vicar, having come to faith in the Lord Jesus um, back in those days. And so before then, then your upbringing, had you come from a particularly Christian household or not? Um, so I went to a Church of England primary school. Uh, we had had some contact with uh, our local church, just down in Margate now. Um, so had some contact with the local church at that point. Um and as a family, we'd gone along to a few things, but we certainly weren't regular at anything. Um, so there was a bit of sort of Christian heritage probably in my upbringing, I guess, um, but nothing very specific. Um, so I knew some of the stories. I'd heard a little bit about Jesus in and out, celebrated Christmas, you know, the usual kind of cultural stuff, I guess. And in, so before that, so coming to faith then, would you choose a label for yourself if pushed at the time? Would you say you're a Christian or would you say you weren't particularly sure? Um, so I wasn't really practising anything at all in my early 20s before this point. So um, it was just sort of hanging around. So I wouldn't label myself as a Christian. No, definitely not. So that experience of, of people, um, you know, inviting Amanda along, you've almost, you've almost used the word pester and stuff like that. <laughs> Has that informed mission for you going forward in your own experience? Is that something where you say, look, it is worth not just asking your mate once. You should yeah. talk about it openly and stuff like that. Does that inform the way you discuss mission now? Yes, absolutely. And uh, uh, it, it has been my pattern of, uh, of mission, really, in the local church, right from accuracy and now in Kilnurst as well. Um, I see the value of small group um, ministry to do this sort of evangelism, you know, opening the Bible and presenting Jesus in a way which is clear and accessible, um, helping people discover who he is and uh, why he is the best news in the world, as we like to say in Kilnest. So, um, uh, yeah, that's that's been a pattern, and it was set up from my my own experience of you know here are some people who really care about other people enough to sit down with them and uh, share the good news of Jesus. So, um, yeah. I want to come so quickly back to the sort of time of the BBC because as yeah. you mentioned here, you know, you came to faith during that time. Uh -huh. um, I've said before this podcast, I've certainly not been good enough for my time in these departments as a journalist in my sort of previous roles. It's been a balance, obviously, because I have to be professional, can't, you know, just talk about faith all the time. I've perhaps been guilty of being a bit too timid with my faith and not taking as many opportunities as I could have done to sort of share it with mm. more colleagues. Is that yeah. something you found a particular challenge at the time? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, at the BBC when I came to Faith, um, those, uh, the colleagues I was around, uh, most of them did know that something had happened to me because uh, I did share that with them. Um, we were um, a fairly small team. Um, so uh, even though it's like a national broadcaster, there's not hundreds and hundreds of engineers working there. So, um, so folks you know, got to hear, got to know. I don't really think I knew how to share my faith effectively as a new Christian. So um, I think I'm slightly better at that these days. But uh, back then it was all new. And so 
you know, there's a certain um, naivety and excitement about being a new Christian, yeah. but whether you're being effective in terms of helping someone else become a Christian as well, um, I think there are, there are lots of ways we can um, help one another do that better, not just be weird and strange, but actually, you know, this is... Um, this is good news about a real person who uh, came and walked and talked and did stuff, and we can read all about him in in the Bible. Um, so, and was yeah. Amanda on the same journey at the same time? I'm just looking at the bio. Yeah. So you got married in '92, became a uh, a Christian in '94, left the BBC in '96. A lot going on in those four years. Was Amanda on that same path? Yes. With you? So she became a Christian a little bit before me. Um, Fairly typical, I think, in the... Yes, right, yeah. The, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, not, I mean, we were talking about um, nine months or a year or so. Um, she was getting um, more Christian teaching than I was because I was obviously still on this shift pattern that meant I couldn't be at church every week and I wasn't myself in a small group until I joined this particular group that I became a part of. But um, Amanda had been sort of plugged into things more effectively as a newcomer uh, and was around a bit more to um so um yeah so and and that was it was a wonderful blessing to us to have become christians early in our married life um uh, i see uh, families you know these days where um you know, one or other of the partners might be a christian and the other one uh, not yet or just not really interested and i think that's hard as a as a couple to sort of set priorities and uh, think about how you're going to spend uh, your time and your money how you're going to bring up your kids and all those questions um, just much more straightforward when um, uh, both partners are on the same page with Jesus. Um, you can then, um, yeah, it, it, life is more straightforward, I think. Mm. Yeah, so those four years, long going on. Yeah. You came to 1996 and left this huge organization, this cultural icon, really. Yep. Yep. Was that to go to a small startup or was it one of these sort of subcontract? Companies working for the BBC? Uh, no. So I went for um, a couple of years, which I, I didn't mention in the bio there, for, um, to an independent uh, production company. So they basically snapped me up, doubled my salary and said, come and work for us. Um, oh, so um, that's why I left, really. I guess it was sort of going after the, uh, the pennies in those days. We were um, trying to buy a house and those kind of things. So, um, so I uh, helped build um, the facilities for this. It was a um, post-production editing house that we were putting together. Um, so we used to do pop videos and TV commercials mostly and a few programs on the side, but it was mostly... The days of MTV. Yeah, high-end commercial um, TV production. Um, so again, really exciting. I loved the work. Ridiculously long hours. So I would go to work at the normal time in the morning for the 8.30 to start work. And sometimes I'd still be there at one o'clock in the oh, wow. in night time. They'd, yeah. get a, they'd get me a takeaway, you know, to keep me going. And they'd send me home in a cab. And then the alarm would go off the next morning and back into work. And we I did that for a couple of years. Um, had a whale of a time. Um, and uh, was was great. You know, I say really enjoyed the work. And there was just two of us there in those days. So, you know, that was even more pressure and... Uh, these things cost an awful lot of money to make pop videos you know spending massive budgets and so everything has to work perfectly has to go right first time around so and if it goes wrong then um yeah we were having to manage you know irate clients and people who were upset that the studio wasn't working properly for some reason <laughs> um so that was uh, that was all good fun 
Um, and from there, then moved to become the, the chief engineer of a, this multimedia company. Um, so that was really in the early days when everyone wanted a website, everyone wanted to put their um, corporate brochure onto a CD. Remember those days? Yes, um, I do, very much and, so, yes. uh, you'd mail ben out, doesn't remember those. Mail out. Not that young, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So <laughs> the companies would uh, make these CDs and mail them out. You know, 100,000 copies of the yeah. CD would make, go back to all their customers. Um, and so they're kind of interactive um, self. Uh, so we were doing all that stuff. So lots of video, lots of audio. Um, hence my my skill set being employed um so again i was sort of overseeing a lot of work there um helping with some of the technicalities but not actually producing much myself i was just sort of overseeing the the kit and the staff and the team so you must have been working a lot as you've already said mm. yeah and you've got um a wife yeah. you're young together you starting to think about family yeah the stuff. family came along in those yeah. days as well the working boys. a lot of hours how is your faith building around that you're obviously You've gone again quite quickly from that to ministry. So mm, yeah. how did you fit all that in? Your faith grew quite strong in those days. Yeah, so I, um, one of the blessings for me was that I had a commute into work every day. So I had an hour on the train to get from home um, into work. And so um, I was avidly reading Christian literature uh, of a morning. Uh, I'd listen to the radio on the way home <laughs> on the train normally. But um, so I was sort of um, growing myself um, quite rapidly in terms of reading theology and reading um, good Christian books. Um, uh, and then um, more and more involved at church on the weekends. So the, the multimedia job, I got the weekends off, which was a massive bonus for ministry. So then Saturdays and Sundays became, you know, ministry days. So um started doing a lot more, started leading a few things at church, um, started um, a little bit of preaching around and about, and um, yeah, grew pretty quick in terms of picking things up. And it was in, in those days that um, uh, I got invited onto a little mission team. So uh, a friend of mine, you know, said, oh, you should come along. And, you know, we went to visit another church, took a little team and spent a week doing mission um, and that really fired me up. I was like, oh, this is great. I think I could do this all the time. This would be really good fun. Um, and so that was a bit of a turning point for me, I think. So, yeah. Still in the same church as you Yes, yeah, still in the same church. Into. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And that church was growing at that time? Was it going through times of renewal and stuff? Um, yeah, so it's um, it's had a very steady heritage, Haroldwood, uh, St. Peter's Haroldwood. Um, so it's... Um, it's been yeah steady as you go nothing sort of very dramatic but nothing it's never declined either it's just sort of and it's had a um uh, a role in um drawing people to to Jesus and then sending them out as well so it has a sort of um purposeful sending of people to other places some into full time ministry others as mission uh, mission partners and missionaries overseas others just um uh, sending them to a, another local church, go and um, resource somewhere else with some good people who can, you know, help build ministry in uh, with others. So, yeah. Leading on from there yeah. uh, to when you were selected for training then, was it a difficult decision to think, I'm going to leave that sort of media world behind while I've worked in for a long time? Um, yeah, I, and I really missed it to begin with because it was so very different. And um, yeah, it's a big decision for us. It felt to me as if this was what the Lord was calling us into and um, anyone who's been through a selection process knows there are so many hoops and um, so many ways that you could get 
um, turned down from doing it that actually if you get to the end of it and it's uh, it's a yes then you think well the lord must be in this because <laughs> otherwise <laughs> he'd have been able to stop it a long time ago so I, I felt sort of confident that this was right but um i i did really miss with um, playing with bits of wire and sound systems and uh, you know all those kind of lovely things that used to be part of my working life and I bet the hours were quite different. So you mentioned, obviously, the eight to one in the morning, yep. but no less busy in different ways, I guess. No, indeed. And, you know, I've always had a, um, a fairly busy life in ministry as well. So um, so I tend to work, um, yes, work, work pretty hard when I can and uh, get, get through the work in the week um, and uh, use, um, you know, the time God's given me to, uh, to try and be as effective as I can. Um, so uh, we've spent a lot of time um, trying to be creative in ministry in Kilnes, sort of build up new things, try and be creative in mission, try and draw new people in in different ways. Um, I've had um, uh, the blessing of being a training incumbent. So I've had three curate colleagues over the years, uh, which again has been just a, a lovely way of um, uh, sort of resourcing our local church, but also um, resourcing the wider church as you um build someone up and then send them out to a new ministry to go and uh, lead something somewhere else. One thing we often ask is how people have been drawn to the diocese. So you mentioned mm. in your bio that your curiosity was in Clacton. Yeah. Did you originally have plans to possibly um, be priested there or was it Kilnhurst that called you, know, called you to move up north? Uh, yeah, so we became aware of the role in Kilnhurst from, uh, again, two or three different sources. Said, oh, there's a job going you know up in Sheffield Diocese and um, this was towards the end of my curacy when you start looking around um, a good friend of mine was actually involved um, in um, suggesting candidates to one of the bishops in those days here so um, so I think my name might have got put forward um, and so there was a little process run but um, it seemed to me um, very early on that this was exactly the kind of thing I was looking to do um, we didn't know Kilnurst, didn't know Rotherham really. I heard of Sheffield and Doncaster, <laughs> whatever, but uh, were completely new to the diocese. Um, and I was new as a vicar. I didn't know what I was doing as a vicar either. So it's, everything was brand new. Uh, Kilnurst um, was um, was in reasonably good shape, but um, small and um, not a very big team in those days. So we were able to uh, sort of come in and um, gently start uh, building things up over the years. What were some of the, the needs of the community then in Kilnhurst and have they changed over time or do you think those needs are quite similar? Um, so I think um, Kilnhurst is a very much a working class parish and in those days was down towards the bottom end of the um, index of deprivation. So it was not a very well off kind of place. And that was reflected in um, aspirations for education, for sort of um, standards of living the kind of cars people would drive around in and those you know you could tell um, what sort of place it was just by having a little wander around and over the years i think um economically um there's been quite a big improvement really i think we're now um, still on the towards the the bottom half of the scale of deprivation but we're nothing like um um sort of right down the bottom like we were so um folks have got better off in, in sort of um in those ways i think i always saw my role very much as um uh, helping folks find you know the most important thing in life um, which is to find a, a living relationship with Jesus and so um, that really hasn't changed that's still what gets me out of bed in the morning really um, wanting to help folks who 
either haven't heard or don't yet know Jesus to come into a living relationship with him. Um, so we work hard to that end and that that's it. Yeah. There's been a lot of discussion recently about um, perhaps white working class communities more than, you know, multi, you know, you, yeah. your white working class community area, perhaps. Yes. Um, and bringing the gospel to those communities has been something that I think we can probably agree that the Church of England hasn't always been great at. It's it's a it's an organisation that has sometimes struggled in in deprived CUNY communities. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, in fact, probably the Anglo Catholic wing has been really good in those communities because they have that sort of edge to them. But a lot of middle class white churches have struggled in working class communities. So, what specifically has have you feel that you've brought? But also, how has that impacted the community around you, and how have you approached that? Yeah. So, I think we see evangelism as a bit of a process. So very few people in my experience would wake up one morning and suddenly decide to turn up to a Sunday morning service at the local church. It just doesn't really happen. Um, So what we've tried to do is set up a a bit of a process whereby folks can um, come into contact with the local church in other ways. So taking the church outside the building um, where we can um, and just having lots of sort of events that would be um, low-key events for fringe sort of folk just to come along to um, no sort of um, uh, no real message at any of those things it's just we're getting together as a church family we're having a lot of fun there's some food um, and people get to meet people get to meet me a bit uh, perhaps and um, and then we might invite them on to another thing there might be something that's a little bit more intentional like uh, perhaps a quiz night that we then have some food and a little talk halfway through or something like that um, or we'd invite them to things at Christmas. So there'll be this sort of intentional pattern of from a very sort of soft, um, easy invite at one end of the scale to then um, by the time they've been along to a few Sundays and done a few things, I might say to them, well, come on the next um, Explorers course and we'll we'll have a look at that, and by which time they're ready to do that and we're a- able to sit around a table and sort of do the, the work of um, you know, opening the gospel and uh, introducing folks to Jesus. Um, and we've found that really effective in terms of, um, yeah, um, so most of the folks at Kilnurst now have joined since me and Amanda arrived. So the church family as it currently is um, uh, mostly new people who have come to faith um, and are going strong in Jesus. So uh, it's a wonderful blessing to see um, God at work in that way and um, has, has used us in the process to help with a bit of that. It's really encouraging to hear, Andy. I think I've noticed that from a comms angle, but more churches are saying that we don't have to stick to the old format of a half ten service on a Sunday. There are new congregations we can form. There are other, yeah. there are other groups, and I think mm-hmm. from what you've said, that can hopefully encourage other people who are listening that <laughs> because patterns have changed, demographics have changed, people can't necessarily do those times anymore. But I think yeah. it's it's a challenge of raising that awareness and telling people that we are there for them all through the week, not just on a Sunday morning. Yeah, and I think there's this sense in which folks don't really know what they're looking for and they're looking for something and sort of having a bit of a search. Um, and it's the role of the local church, the church community, to show people Jesus and that this faith is real and that it has uh, a real impact in the lives of those who decide to become disciples and followers um, and so if you can sort of demonstrate that in a tangible way with real people doing real life together, um, that's a really attractive thing. And when people see it, they sort of, I, I kind of want what they've got. And, and then we can say, actually, well, 
we'll show you, we'll tell you about um, what we found um, as we've looked in the Bible, as we've discovered Jesus. Um, let us show you some of that. Um, and so evangelism becomes like a, um, sort of drawing people into this community um, where in the middle of everything is Jesus. Um, so, yeah. And that trust and that relationship is exactly what happened to you, isn't it? Indeed. You see that echo yeah. of what you've just said in Absolutely. the first stories that we talked about. Indeed. Relationship, trust, yeah. discussion, openness, yeah. confidence in, in what's being said that can lead to somebody actually discovering yeah. this, uh, this the end game of, of institution for Jesus. We have some stories of remarkable conversions where Jesus has just spoken to people. Yeah. But we have to be honest, those are less frequent than that sort indeed. of relationship yeah. Yeah. that classic sort of christian relationship or yeah which is exactly what happened to you and indeed yeah there. and and that's what we see most often in the lives of those who we're um, engaging with you know day to day you also became area dean of wath in 2012 um, yes one thing we like to do is just do some brief explainers so first of all what is an area dean what do they do and what sort of drew you to that role um so an area dean is um, someone who's given responsibility by the bishop uh, to look after um, a deanery chapter. So every uh, every church belongs in a deanery. Um, so I think there are 12 of those across the diocese, if I'm memory serves me right. Um, and so there's uh, an area dean in each area. It's just a regular vicar um, asked to take on an extra responsibility. So that's all I was. I was quite new in my own role, really. I wasn't massively experienced by then. Um, it was one of these scenarios where um, the vicars who could have become area dean in those days, so the, the Wath chapter vicars, all sort of, um, you know, stood around and uh, I was the one who stepped back least quickly. Um, it was left last man standing <laughs> yeah. and then invited by the bishop to become the new area dean of Wath. So that's um, that was 2012. Um, and I, again, didn't really know what I let myself in for, really. Um, the responsibility covers... Um, uh, a, man, a number of things. So running the deanery chapter meeting, so convening a meeting uh, for the clergy colleagues, and then um, running, um, along with the late chair, the deanery synod meetings. So that was um, uh, another part of the role. And then covering in vacancy, where a, um, the church goes vacant, area dean picks up um, the, the vicar's role, such as it would be not to be there every Sunday and do everything, but really taking responsibility for spiritual oversight and um, you know administration and those kind of things um, so depending on what's going on it can be quite a big role um, and uh, it gives me a sort of an opportunity to get out and about a bit more meet some more people encourage them in their own mission um, so we've had lots of um, good conversations with uh, church wardens and, and others um, and then you know being a bit of a support to clergy colleagues I guess along the way try and um, convene us get us together enjoy some food have some conversation about life and everything and faith and the church of england and um, do you find when vicars get together they always talk about funerals because that's what we seem to get onto all the time the, the <laughs> latest happen, yes. the latest funeral that you'd taken for whoever it was so anyway that was uh, that was that um, i was um, joined by a um, uh, a colleague um fiona in a couple of years back now um so i'm now officially co-area dean of wath uh, along with reverend fiona kubel who is um, up in ardsley other end of the deanery and i think a friend of the podcast all being well i hope so <laughs> yeah i'm sure yeah. she is <laughs> what you said about funerals that just reminds me of years ago grandparents on both sides of my family almost 
competing over who'd been to more funerals. Oh, right. You know, yeah. Sometimes I just kind of look that image. I don't know. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, if we may, we may discuss some sort of hottish off the press news from okay. your point of view. Is that you should okay? lead on this. Yeah. Yes, if we could go there. Um, uh, yes. As long as it's not going to be a surprise to anybody. Uh, well, it will. Amanda. It'll be a surprise. I think Amanda's aware. No, she definitely is aware. <laughs> um, so, it was announced um, just last uh, Sunday that um, I have been appointed as a chaplain in the Diocese of Europe. So Amanda and I are to move to the south of France to take up a chaplaincy at Holy Trinity Church in the city of Cannes on the south coast, where they do the film festival, um, don't you know? So uh, when, what date is that? Uh, which the licensing yes. hasn't yet been set. It's likely to be um, back end of May, early June time. So a few months away yet. I think um, we should have booked this podcast probably what July August time really that would <laughs> could have, be an open broadcast could have been we could have gone down couldn't we as, as guests of uh, absolutely yeah well, I think we, we could have done a little outside broadcast yeah. from the coast that would red be carpet. nice we'd be good on the red carpet yeah. well that can be our sequel podcast we can we can yeah. have guests on again you know absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, follow up yeah and if yeah. you have any complimentary tickets for the film festival we'll, we'll be happy to help with that yeah well I. Funny you say, I heard the other day, uh, I'm not sure if this is true, but someone told me that um, as chaplain of the local church in Cannes, um, the chaplain gets like an ex-officio membership of one of the Cannes film judging panels. Wow. So I think I'll be invited along to some grand yes. do at some point. To uh... Now, the thing is, I'm not really a film fan. I don't have a lot of time to watch movies, so I'm going to have to sort of change my tune there, aren't I? I'm going to have to... Um, or we could fill in for you because we, <laughs> <don't know>. we <laughs> are. Oh well, we could. Uh, You'll have to tell uh, me what's I think going I won on. The uh, Sundance <laughs> Film Festival in 1921, I think. Yes, or 40, 45. 40, 40, 45. Yeah. So yes, um, we'd love to join you on that. So we could give you some. You've only got a Zoom caller, so we can give you a lot You'd be of right advice. There. Drop the right names in at the right time. Yeah. Coppola. In person like, meeting would be better, actually. Kind of thing. It's like early cop Coppola or something. So I mean, uh, obviously. Um, Slightly more seriously, the it's a big, big, <laughs> Sorry, quite right. big news. Uh, yeah, big news for the folks at Kilnwest um, yes, who have just course, sort yes. of come aware that um, me and Amanda will be moving on. So we've been there. We will have been um, fifteen years um, in March this year. So um, it's quite a long stint. Um, yeah. Feels to me like yeah, about the right sort of time to be uh, looking to move on. Um, we've got a brilliant team of good and godly leaders at Kilnwest, so we're um, really confident in in the ministry there um that they'll be able to um get along you know without us for a while and then they'll be praying for new ministry to come and uh, and lead them on sort of in the future yeah and so, so to interregnum that's the word we use indeed yeah and um there'll be an oversight ministry oversight minister appointed after that. yeah in due course so um uh, there are conversations um going on in terms of exactly what that might look like i think yeah. but um yeah some good plans and uh, i say i'm confident that ministry will continue to be provided and uh, yeah we can sort of carry on um pushing on with the gospel in kilnest as we then um go and um, join another church family somewhere else so nick and um, jamie yeah they what, what, what's their thoughts on this um i think they were a little surprised our older son nick thought uh, i was probably having some kind of midlife crisis really thought of uh, driving down the, yes the, right the yeah <laughs> with your, in your soft up beamer with your cap on yeah that's it so um 
But uh, no, really supportive of the plans. Um, the uh, the apartment we have has um, accommodation for guests and visitors, so um, we'll be inviting folks you know, to come and stay, come for a little holiday or a break or whatever. So we'll see plenty of them. Um, we'll be coming back, obviously, to the UK on a regular basis to catch up with family and friends. Um, Jamie, our younger son, is um, uh, a mad Formula One fan, so he's already booked his space for the Monaco Grand Prix next summer we won't be there probably for this year um but the monaco weekend coincides with the final weekend of Cannes film festival so oh. it all happens at the same time so uh yeah he's he's right there booked in already um in the guest room uh, uh, so. apologies for paul going full del boy i'm leaving that in i'm not i'm not cutting that there um so andy's in Given that opportunity, an easy decision in some ways, but you've mentioned, of course, the, the connection with Kilnurse, 15 years there. Was that, did that make it a bit more difficult thinking on this or leave this? Um, yeah, so um, obviously we've seen the Lord do, do uh, such a lot of good work in Kilnurse um, that I was very keen for that to be secure before I just then wandered off to do something else. Um, Saw the job down in Cannes advertised um, 18 months ago now. So, um, was it in the Church Times? It was in the Church Times. It was, yes, yeah, so right, yeah. And I think my eyes would have lit up at that and point. I remember looking at it and showing Amanda as well. So we both saw it and we thought one day something like that would be just amazing. Mm. What a brilliant opportunity mm. um, to take the gospel to English speakers overseas mm. um, and, you know, see what the Lord might do with that. Um, so we saw it and then forgot all about it um, I was um, uh, just a year into training uh, my uh, curate colleague Ben so um, couldn't leave at that point so we're committed to getting through his training and so it's like oh well you know something like that one day yeah let's let's sort of keep that on the back burner anyway um, last summer so summer just gone uh, the advert re-emerged they'd had a couple of goes at trying to uh, fill the post without success they hadn't found the right person um, and so I still couldn't really leave at that point either. <laughs> so I had a word with the Archdeacon in France and um, they said, you should apply anyway um, and we'll keep the job open. If it's right, then we can just... Because um, they, they fill in the gap um, down in France with um, locum ministry. Okay. So they sort of advertise little short-term stints. And surprisingly, there's quite a few people keen to go and help. Mm. So um, yeah. so that's good. <laughs> yeah. So um, the folks at Holy Trinity have been really well served by um, local ministry uh, for the last, well, it will be best part of two years, I think, by the time we arrive. Um, and that's given, you know, broadened their horizons a little in terms of you know, different sorts of people, different uh, folks coming through. Um, and so we're looking forward to sort of yeah, getting stuck in and getting started. Yeah. In due My course. My passed away in France and okay. uh, we were very fortunate to contact the local C of E, um, Charlotte, I think, was the is the area. So okay. there was a minister or a vicar that oversaw the huge area. But um, uh, Becca and I went to the church on the Sunday as my, my dad was very ill. And he was enormously helpful. Uh, it just smoothing the way for us on everyday stuff, you know, around yeah. the, the undertakers and, and cremation and stuff. And yeah. sort of service for us. My, my, my dad had no faith in that respect. But... He was absolutely fantastic. It was a great blessing yeah. to us as Christians, but also to my mum. She spoke very, very highly of him after that, right. of how calm and nice he'd been to her and how organised he'd been. And, yeah. and when you are in a, a country that you, you, you're not, dad 
dad was still quite young when he passed away. It was a very quick cancer. You, you weren't expecting that to happen. They no, had no arrangements. They had no idea of what to do. Mm. So and it was a great ministry. Yeah, and I guess we're expecting to serve, you know, expats and English speakers um, of faith and of no faith in, in a very similar way to how we minister um, you know, here in the UK. It's not that very different. Um, apparently, there are something like 100,000 um, English speakers um, within an hour of Cannes. Um, so that's a very big sort of um, mission field, if you like. Think about in those terms. Um, so we... Um, yeah, very much looking forward to getting going. And um, I don't really know what we've let ourselves in for in one sense because it's sort of so new and so different. Um, but that, for me, is is what's exciting about it as well. Um, looking for, um, you know, a different kind of challenge at this point in life. So, um, yeah, looking very much forward to getting up and running. And how's your French, if I may ask? Um, so I did some French at high school. And so... No, how hard can it be, really? Um, I, I need to learn, relearn, and brush up. So we are, um, we've got some apps. Who knew you could learn a language on an app these days? Duolingo. Duolingo, that's right. So we're brushing up. Um, Amanda did an A-level in French, so she's um, uh, head and shoulders above me already in terms of her uh, language learning. Um, but we feel it's important to um, try our hardest so we can communicate effectively. Um, and who knows, there may be an opportunity for um, French speakers to join an English-speaking church. Um, uh, it seems to me that uh, the good news is good news for everybody. I think that immersion will really help as well, the fact that you'll be there. Um, Paul's lost it now. It's fine. We'll, just, um, we'll leave him to it for a bit. Is it but... that time in the day? Yes, I that, think so. yeah. we said he was giddy, didn't we? But, yeah. Yeah. He's got a bit giddy. Yeah. Um, but no, I think being there as well with French speakers that immersion will surely help as well. I think. Indeed, yeah. So. And it's the honest effort, isn't it? I think trying yeah. the language, I think, is really important. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So we, we come towards the end of these times and we do sort of dip into other stuff. Now, I suspect you've got quite a lot on your plate as you're coming towards this. So French books and learning French mm -hmm. will be a biggie. But what else do you do in your spare time? There's a radio. I've already put my foot in it about the radio a bit already yeah. earlier on before you came on. So... You're interested in, um, go on, tell me. Before. Amateur radio. Amateur so, radio. so licensed right. amateur radio. Um, so I'm also known as uh, G7YAB. That's my uh, amateur radio license call sign. Um, and my uh, back at home, I've got a, a little thing, um, call it a shack, which is where your radio station sits, a little amateur radio station. And from there I can... Uh, chat to and listen to uh, stations from all over the world which is quite fun so that sort of um, sounds a bit geeky but then that's me at heart really I'm a bit of a geeky me fella Embrace it. Embrace it. Um, me too so I'm a member of the Mexpra um, Amateur Radio Club um, meets on a Friday night <laughs> so sorry <laughs> you've had your Weetabix today Paul um, um, yes <laughs> Have you seen or, or read All the Light We Cannot See, the Anthony Doerr book? Uh, no, I'm afraid I haven't. Okay, so that's... Uh, Tell me about it. Of interest. Okay. You know, it's, um, it's a quite famous book, um, but it, Netflix have just done a four-part dramatisation of it right. around radio broadcasting okay. in the Second World War. Right. All the Light We Cannot See. I'll yeah. text you the thing, but are you on Netflix? Uh, yeah, we can get Netflix. Platforms are available. <clears throat> yeah, I think we can probably manage some of that. Yeah, yeah. watch that. Great, we will do. Uh, you've mentioned you're not a big film fan, but do you have any particular go-to film genres, television-wise? Um, so, 
I think because of um, my working life, I, I don't watch a lot of TV or movies or anything like that, really. I do... Um, uh, do you sit in the background? As Amanda gets across, you sit in the background and say, oh, look at the production value on that. So she, she saves things up for us to watch together. So we have watched, um, we watched the MasterChef that was on recently, the professional MasterChef. That was, um, that was good fun. And um, uh, a few series like that we might sort of store up. Um, Amanda's able to watch a little bit more telly than I am. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and I do, um, it does annoy me when things are badly done on telly, you know, because part of my role at the Beeb was to keep the quality of the pictures and the sound, you know, just so. And uh, if they're badly done, then it, it does ruin it for me, really. It's like, oh, that camera's out of focus or there's a spot on it and it, whatever it might be wrong with it, blemishes. So. And Amanda's a Barnet fan. Indeed. Amanda and Jamie, our younger son, Barnet fans, they love um, the bees, as they're known. Are they transferring their allegiance to a local French, to part of the French ultras somewhere? Yeah, I think we'll have to uh, have to try and find somewhere to go and watch a bit of live football. Nice has a nice football team. Places, yeah. um, that would be the sort of national team, I think. You can um, be a glory hunter and support PSG as well, and that's further yeah, away. That's it. Yeah, that's right. So we'll... Um, we Marseille will. can't be. I'm right. French geography is shocking, but yeah, I think Marseille sounds like it's not far away. <laughs> Marseille's close, of course. Yes. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see about that. See what we can end up doing. Again, I'm not a massive football fan myself, but I'm yeah, you know, I don't mind supporting. Um, I, I think um, football for me is uh, very dependent on the temperature of the air. <laughs> So forget the quality of the football, but if it's absolutely freezing cold on a dreary December day, then it's really not my thing. Um, so I get that. Sunshine and can sounds quite nice by comparison, doesn't it? Football. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, just finally for me as well, music, any bands you're into in particular? Um, so, um, again, not really particular bands. I used to listen to a little bit of classical stuff around the place. So a bit Radio 3. I sound a bit dull, don't I? <laughs> but, no, yeah, that's me. classic music fans yeah. on There's recently, a lot more actually, out there. Yeah. They, they've freely admitted it on the podcast, haven't they? Some yeah. So, um, so, yeah, you know, um, you can't beat sort of um, proper classical music done well down at the Albert Hall or somewhere like that. Um, and I think in the UK, we do that stuff really well. We've got some really you know, excellent musicians, professional touring companies. So we've been over to City Hall to hear a few things. And, you know, that's, um, that's my bag, really. So not particular um, music or bands as such. I'm, I'm, uh, Does that classical music filter at all through to your sort of choice of hymns? Do you prefer older hymns or more contemporary ones? Um, I don't mind, really. I take a... I, I, with hymns, um, it's about the words, really, I think, mostly. So um, uh, good words can um, sort of then carry a terrible tune. Um, <laughs> As uh, a famous musician once said. Exactly. So the best tune in the world, if the um, theology is awful, we pro probably wouldn't sing it. So, uh, yeah, so I'm a bit, bit of a stickler for those kind of things. Uh, we have some um, great musicians at Kilmerst, and, um, and they tend to take responsibility for actually choosing the music. So I, I kind of know what's happening and see what's going on, but um, leave it to the capable hands of others to, um, to um, provide us uh, for us in that way. 
we can get caught up in tunes, can't we? Sometimes there's a tune so recognisable, so good, we mm. don't really pay attention to the lyrics. I think Christmas indeed. carols are... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, of course, we just had uh, our final Christmas now in Kilnes. That felt a bit funny. So I knew what was happening and nobody yes. else in the parish yes. at all had any clue that we were um, about to announce some news. So, um, so yeah, but um, it's been good to... Um, serve there and um yeah as we move on and it'll be a new challenge a new adventure christmas in canical indeed yeah trying to figure out how that goes so um uh, which again i don't really know at the moment it's yeah. all all new um so bon noel pretty good away with it <laughs> and it's been fantastic to speak to you thanks so much for coming in it's, a, it's so great when we interview people who have just such different backgrounds. We have people from missionary kids to, you know, working at the BBC. It's fantastic. It's a lovely yeah. story. So thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me along. It's been, uh, been great. All. And congratulations again with your new yeah, role, Dice to Europe. We wish you all the best. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. whenever you just can... send a postcard, send wine. Yes. And whenever you visit, um, yeah, do, do you flag the back in the area and it'd be great to to celebrate that and hear how you've been doing. Will do. Thanks so much. So, Ben, um, words of grace at sheffield.anglican.org if you'd like to get in touch. And we are pushing ratings now, aren't we? Yes, we are. So, so far, so good on the ratings. So it's uh, out of five. So um, It's not a huge poll yet, though, is it? No. But, but we're going to push that a bit. Um, I, I might even have to rate myself at this rate. Yeah. <laughs> I could rate you, you could rate me. That'd be good idea. Yeah, excellent. But, um, but yeah, um, vote with your conscience, but hopefully you vote in Yeah, it. vote with your conscience, but vote well. Yes, exactly. Go well. And uh, Spotify or any of the other uh, supplies of podcasts. And um, yeah, thanks very much, Andy. Good to see you, Ben. You too. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye.